Well, good morning. We are in the middle of our 21 days of prayer and fasting as a church. It is this simple effort where we are focusing together to make sure and make prayer a priority for 21 days and to fast one time in the week. Whatever kind of fast you want from social media, I've talked to people who are doing that, uh, one meal, one day, however it works. But the idea is to interrupt our schedule and to focus on seeking the Lord. You know, I want to just say that um, this week um, I heard something that was so encouraging. Uh, we're trying to raise money to do some major uh, maintenance projects in the church, and somebody had approached me and said, uh, I'm going to give 1%. The total amount is $465,000. So 1% is, is, you know, that's pretty sizable, right? Um, and I began to pray that God would bring people to help provide that 1%. All we need is 99 more. And then the Lord said to me, how about you? Are you going to give 1%? And I said to the Lord, well, now, Lord, you know, that's not what I told you. Uh, um, that's, you're stretching me here with this. He said, okay. You know how the Lord does that? So finally, I went to my wife and said, I think we need to give 1%. It's going to take us till May, but we're going to get it done. And then this week, Logan told me that he talked to a couple men, uh, one young family and one young adult person just beginning his, their career, and they said, we can't do 1%, but, but we're going to do 0.25%. And so there's two of us now. We're looking for two more that will give 0.25%. We'll make up another 1%. You know what I think is so wonderful? It's just that, that when people respond to the Lord, when they stretch, when they reach out in faith, it is amazing um, what God is going to do. I, I do believe that he's going to provide for us. Now, as we go through the 21 days of prayer and fasting, you know, we need to, we need to make sure that we're not treating this like we're, we're putting God up as a vending machine. I'm going to go all the way to day 21, so God, you will give me what I'm asking for. I don't know what the particular thing you need in your life. I think 21 days of prayer and fasting is more about learning how to walk with God, seeking God on a daily basis, involving God in our every single need, uh, concern, struggle. Uh, that's what we want to do over 21 days. You do something for 21 days, and it becomes part of your life. And that's what I'm praying. I'm praying that we will all find it so important to seek God on a daily basis through prayer, that we won't let it go. We don't want to let it go. Today, I want to talk to you about a very important prayer, okay? So important. You need to learn how to pray when you're in trouble. You know, here, here's the prayer. God, help me. Can you say that right now? Come on, here we go. God, help me. You never know when something is going to come and just overtake you. And, and we've got to learn how to pray when we're in trouble. Our verse for the day is Lamentations 3, 22 to 23. One of, one of my favorite verses. Through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Now, the Lord's mercies are directed toward us. And because of that, we are not consumed. I think we all understand that we live in a fallen and broken world where a lot of things go wrong. There's a lot of difficulty that you and I will encounter. But the Lord's mercies sort of counter all of these. 
And the Lord's mercies are directed toward us, and they are renewed every morning because the mercies you need today are different than the mercies you, need yesterday, you needed yesterday. And he tailor makes that, those mercies, and he directs them toward us. You know, the word mercy comes from the Hebrew word said. It is a rich and multifaceted word. Sometimes it is translated goodness or loving kindness, merciful or favor. I mean, it's one of those rich words that means so very much. His mercies are directed toward us. He intentionally directs his mercies toward you today. Don't ever forget that right now you sit in the mercies of God and he is directing them right at you. And when we are in trouble, when tragedy, loss, grief surround us, we've got to train ourselves to run to the mercies of God. In those tough moments, we will have to make a choice. We will either run away from God, <coughs> excuse me, into despair, or we will run to God and beg for his mercies. You know, as a pastor, I see this all the time. Someone dies, a tragedy strikes, an unexpected setback happens, and I watch, and some people get so discouraged, they move away from God, they give up on praying, they give up on seeking God, and they move into despair. There are other people that I encounter who in the middle of their struggle, in the middle of their loss, their grief, I mean, their life will never be the same. I see them running toward God, and I see this incredible richness and strength that just washes all over them. When I was 19 years old, and if you've been around here before, you're gonna, you've probably heard a version of this story before, but I only have one life, you know what I'm saying? So you get what you get. When I was 19 years old, I took an internship at a church in Lincoln, Nebraska. I mean, I was eager to serve in ministry, and so, I mean, I got the deal of all deals, and I couldn't refuse it. Here was the deal. This pastor invited me to come and serve in his church. He said, you can live in my unfinished basement with me and my four children. I will pay you a hundred dollars a week. And the job description was janitor, youth director, choir director, um, outreach director. I mean, I was it, man. I mean, it didn't matter. I wanted to do something. I wanted to serve. I had this great choir. There was like seven people in the choir. And the most enthusiastic and loud singer of the group was this wonderful young man whose voice sounded a lot like like a foghorn. But I love this guy. He was enthusiastic. I just pushed him away from the mic. You know what I'm saying? And then in the summertime, well, when I, when I first got there, um, I began to discover that things were not as good as they had been presented to me. I became, pretty quickly, I became aware that the church was out of money and they had creditors lining up to be paid. I began to pick up on the fact that the pastor seemed troubled, and later it became clear that he was actually looking around to try to find another church to go to. 
I mean, it was one of those times when as I sat in the back seat of the car with the four kids, the pastor and his wife, hearing a lot of things that were being talked about, I, I, I said to myself, what have I got myself into? And then there was the summer youth camp. So we rented a van that could fit 11 people. I was gonna drive the old church van with five passengers in the luggage. And we were gonna take a road trip about eight or more hours to Colorado. And um, I remember that the pastor insisted that we, we leave immediately on Friday night because he didn't want anyone to arrive tired on Saturday afternoon and have an excuse to not attend church the next morning. And by the way, he told me, you're going to be preaching because I will be out of town. And so here it is at the end of a busy camp week. If you've ever done that before, you know it is an exhausting week. It's the end of the, of the Friday night. The last event had just taken place. And so we jump into our vans and begin to make the trip home. About two o'clock in the morning, I was so sleepy. I thought, this is not safe. I flashed my lights. The guy in front of me who drove the other van with 11 people in it, he pulled over. I said, listen, I am so sleepy. Are you sleepy? He says, no, I'm not sleepy. I said, man, I am so sleepy. Uh, but you know what? I've got a solution. There is a girl in my van who has a license. She just turned 16 and got a license. <laughs> We're why did I think that was okay? Anyway, um, so he said, all right, that's fine. Go ahead, put her behind the wheel, wheel and you can take a break. I put her behind the wheel. I sat in the front seat beside her and I just began to doze when all of a sudden screaming in my van woke me up. And this girl pulled over to the side and I said, what is going on? They said, the van in front of us took a sharp right and the van rolled in this Nebraska grain field. And I was, I was like dumbfounded. I looked out into the field, I could see the van. And that's when I prayed, my God help me prayer. I'm now the only adult counselor. The second oldest person is the girl that was driving and she was 16. 11 people had just been in this accident. So I opened the door and I began to walk through this grain field and toward the van I could see in the distance. And as I did, I, I, saw, I saw some of the kids that had been thrown out of the van and, and they were talking and they seemed okay. Later I realized they probably were in shock, but they didn't seem like they were dying. I went to the van and I began to pull out the wounded passengers that were still in there. Many of them were bloody. Some of them were screaming. And it, it was an awful thing. And then about that time, some truckers who had stopped along the side of the road started coming up to me saying, hey, we're here to help you. I tell you what, I love truckers. I'm, I'm telling you right now. One of the guys came over to me and he whispered in my ear. He says, listen, this is pre-cell phones. He says, hey, listen, I've already radioed this and there is emergency vehicles on their way. So we're gonna be here to help you. <clears throat> we pulled these wounded young people and one of the adult, the only other adult was the wife of the driver. And then I counted and I was missing two. And so then I thought, well, I gotta find them. 
So I walk through this Nebraska grain field looking and being afraid of what I was going to find. Finally, I came up to both of these people. One guy who was the driver was sitting. His arm was like a zigzag, all broken, and he was talking out of his head. I mean, he, I tried to talk back. He wasn't there. He was just jabbering. And then laying beside him was the other young man. He was about 16, and I couldn't tell if he was dead or alive. The ambulance started to come. They loaded up the worst ones first. It took two or three ambulances. State troopers started to, to arrive, and they took all of these young people to the little town in the small hospital that was available. And I'm praying, oh God, help me. After the wounded were taken to the hospital, I jumped back in the van with everybody else I could fit and followed the state trooper to the hospital. And when I got there, it was a frightening, chaotic, and busy experience because the doctors kept coming out to me and they would say things like, hey, listen, you got to get a hold of this kid's parents because I'm not sure they're going to make it. So I, I scurried around, collected all the quarters I, I, had, I could find because it was payphone days back then. And I, I'm, I'm calling, looking at my numbers, calling parents, sharing very little information except that their child is now in the hospital and the doctor needs to talk to them. It was an awful night. It was so terrible. I can't tell you. It's one of my most... Man, it was worst nights of my life. And I, I remember in the middle of all of this, the door of the emergency room opens and the man walks in. And he walks up to me and this is what he said. Hi, I'm pastor so-and-so. I actually am the pastor of one of the state troopers who stopped at the accident, and he called me. This is three o'clock in the morning. And he said that you might need someone to just come and sit with you. So I'm here. I'll help in any way. I can't tell you what that meant to me. Because like I'm all alone, the only adult trying to manage. And this guy gets up at three o'clock in the morning and comes to the hospital. Finally, the doctors told me that there were four that were serious enough that they needed to be airlifted to a state hospital. And so they were airlifted. And then thankfully, many of the ones that looked so terrible in the van, they were superficial glass wounds and they cleaned them up, bandaged them, and they were looking better. And it began to get to be toward dawn and now I had the dilemma of having to transport everybody who is not going to a hospital back to Lincoln. It was about three more hours worth of a trip, and I didn't know how to do that. The pastor stood beside me, heard my dilemma, and he says, hey, I'll tell you what, I will drive them. We will go together. And so we went together. Early that next morning, we pulled into the parking lot full of family and friends, and as you can imagine, there were more conversations to be had than I could have. 
And when they were all gone, I turned around to thank this pastor. And he was gone too. You know, I owe that man a debt of gratitude I have never been able to pay because I don't remember his name, couldn't remember his church name. You know, in that, in that time, I'm like, God, what, what are you doing? Why? A friend of mine, I told her the story, and she sent me a card. And um, by the way, no one died. The authorities said to me, it is a miracle. You didn't have a lot of people die looking at this wreck. Everyone recovered. My friend, I told her this. She sent me a card, and this is what she, she paraphrased Lamentations 3, 22 to 26. Except for the mercies of God, we would be consumed daily. And honestly, when I read that, I'm like, what are you thinking? This isn't comforting to me. Consumed daily? Let me read the passage. Lamentations 3, 22 to 26. Through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. You know what, I, I later understood this has become one of my favorite verses. Here's the reality of the world we live in. There are forces that are at work every single day in this broken and fallen world that are working to consume us. Did you know that? Anybody here ever had problems? Troubles, grief, loss, illness, pain, suffering? It, here's the reality. We live in a world that seems to have so many powers out to consume us, but, but the mercies of God come up against those powers, and but for the mercies of God, we would be consumed. But the mercies of God are here. They're here for you. They're here for me. They are active. They are directed toward us. That's why we can hope in our trouble, we must hope. The second thing I want to uh, just point out here is that this is the book of Lamentations. L Lament is, is, is kind of like a pouring out of everything you're feeling that's wrong and bad and negative and weighty in, in, to God. I mean, did you know that one of the things we've got to learn how to do if we want to continue on in this life and succeed and, okay, we've got to learn how to lament. We've got to learn how to take the bad and difficult things of our lives and turn it into a full-blown lament. 
Tim Keller, he's a, he's a prolific writer and preacher. Uh, this, is what, this is what he says. He made a resolution about 20 or more years ago that he was going to read through the book of Psalms every single month. That's 150 Psalms. So he's read 150 Psalms every day, every month for 20 years. One writer about speaking about the Psalms, especially the Psalms of Lament, says this. The other scriptures speak to us, but the Psalms speak for us. Chris Wright of the Gospel Coalition observed this. Lament is not only allowed in the Bible, it is modeled in abundance. God seems to want to give us many words with which to fill out our complaint form, just as many as we, can, we need to use to fill out our thank you notes to God. God, God does do not, not deny that Christians will grieve and suffer, and he gives us permission and examples of prayers of lament to pray prayers that honestly tell God how much we hurt, how confused we are, how alone we are, how we don't understand what he allowed and what he's doing, ways to express our agony uh, and our weariness and our struggle. This is what we've got to learn how to do. And there's plenty of laments in the Bible. Psalms is a rich place. Um, the book of Lamentations is some pretty powerful lamenting going on. Tim Keller says this, when we pray through the Psalms, we allow the words to help us understand and process our difficulties and the brokenness of our souls. We should allow the Psalms of lament to shape our prayer of lament. He says, the psalmist, despite their intensity and shocking candor, always pour out their white hot feelings to God, no matter how angry and despondent they may be. If you use the Psalms of lament to give, your, give you words for your prayers, you will in no sense feel stifled or bottled up. Rather, the language of the laments are so startling that they will probably help you be more honest about your emotions than you would have been. The laments don't just help you to be emotionally honest, they also bring you to the real God. Our danger is that in the midst of our pain, we forget or deny that God is a God of wisdom, power, and goodness. The psalmists who are struggling as much as any of us will nevertheless draw us back toward the real that reality and it will anchor us, the goodness of God. Now I just wanna suggest and they're in the notes if you, if you go to the app, the Bible app, and click on events. and look. But, but here are five psalms of lament. These are only five of many others. Psalm 130. Why should you read these? Because when you learn to explore the depths of your angst and struggle and sadness and difficulty in the presence of God, while moving and choosing to still trust God and believe in him and count on his goodness, you will, you will be able to process life in the presence of God. Psalm 130, the key verse is verse one. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord, hear my voice. This, this psalm talks about how that we're, we're in misery because of our sin. You know, when you're in misery because of your sin, don't run away from God, run to God. This psalm is a psalm to express 
our penance and our sorrow for our sins, keeping our eyes on God and crying out for his mercy. Here in Psalm 130, the psalmist is calling for forgiveness. In Psalm 6, the key verse is this, my soul is in deep anguish. How long, Lord, how long? Anybody here ever had a trial or an illness or a difficulty that just went on and on and on? And we have to say, God, how long? Lord, how long will you leave me in this situation? Sometimes we feel pain over physical calamity, sickness, harassment, persecution. This psalm was written by David, and he calls for God's mercy, healing, and his rescue. He talks about how I am faint. I'm worn out from my groanings all night long. I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. He cannot bear his pain. My soul is in deep anguish. How long, Lord, how long? Maybe some of you need to pray this prayer. Psalm 38, key verses, verse 9 to 11. All my longings lie open before you. Do you have any longings? Unfulfilled dreams? Hopes? All my longings lie open before you, Lord. My sight, sighing, is not hidden from you. My heart pounds. My strength fails me. Even the light has gone from my eyes. My friends and companions avoid me because of my wounds. My neighbors stay far away. Not only is there physical pain, but there's emotional pain. Sometimes we suffer because the people we count on and love walk away from us. It, they're not mad at us. They, they, just, they don't have the capacity to carry our struggle as long as we have to carry it. This includes aspects of pain that in, would be emotional, in, uh, physical, and social. And this, this lament says, God, none of this is hidden from you. Psalm 10 if you're writing these down, Psalm 10, key verses, one, verse one. Why, Lord, do you stand afar off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? I mean, it seems in this Psalm <clears throat> that the writer is saying, God, I just don't feel like you're here or that you're noticing. I feel your distance, not your closeness. What do you do with that? You've got to turn that into a lament. You've got to tell the Lord this. And then Psalm uh, 42 to 43, key verses 42, 7. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. Now, you're like, well, pastor, this isn't very encouraging. But if we're on a 21 days of prayer and fasting, you need to know how to pray prayers of praise and prayers of faith. But we all live in a real world that includes pain and suffering. We need to learn how to cry out to God 
in the middle of our trouble, God gives us the opportunity to express fully what we're feeling. You know what? And none of these things that you and I will express are unfamiliar to God because the truth is that Jesus came and everything you see here, Jesus felt even to the point of hanging on the cross and crying out as he was sent by the Father to redeem the world and and be the Lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world. He cries out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken? Trouble's coming. We got to learn how to pray. God help me. You might say that doesn't sound very theological. Yeah, but it works. It is actually pretty theological. Number two, don't brush off your pain and your suffering, but turn it into a lament. Don't run from God because you're in pain. Run to God when you're in pain when you're confused by him, when you don't understand what he's doing, run to him in all things. Stay with him. And then lastly, we need to choose hope, in the, choose to hope in the mercies of God. We need to choose to hope in the mercy of God. It's a choice. Our emotions aren't leading us. Our truth leads us. God, I feel like you've abandoned me. God, I don't know what you're doing. I'm so confused. Oh, this hurts so bad. How long, how long, oh Lord? But God, right now I'm deciding. I will choose to hope in the mercies of God. You know, I remember um, there came a point in my life, it took a while. I'd have bad dreams that were sort of reenacting that, that night of the wreck and the, just everything I saw. And I would wake up and I'd be troubled all over again. And, but then over time, my focus shifted from the terrible experience, the pain, the suffering, the confusion, to seeing the mercies of God. Do you know what I found out? The mercies of God on that night were all around me. You know what one of the first mercies of God is that only one of our vehicles was involved in the accident. And then the mercies of God showed up when the trucker started surrounding me and helping me and coming to my aid. And I never thought about finding a way to call for emergency vehicles in the middle of a Nebraska grain field at three, 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning. But you know what? God's mercy showed up because that trucker whispered into my ear, hey, by the way, I've already radioed for help and help is on the way. The ambulances are coming. Well, you know what that was? That was the mercy of God. You know, also what I discovered was that uh, the first responders, when they got there, the state troopers and the ambulance people, and I mean, they, they weren't afraid of the pain and the suffering and the blood and the, uh, no, they ran to it and they helped and they, they did what they could do. And oh my goodness, the mercies of God showed up in those first responders. And then there was the, the pastor that walked into the emergency room 
in the middle of the night. It was like the mercy of God personified. The loving kindness of a good God walked into the room in the person of that pastor that night who whispered, hey, one of the state troopers goes to my church. He said, you might need someone to be with you. So I'm here. And then he drove me and the rest of our, our people. It was something like three hours back to Lincoln. And then he was gone. I'm not saying he was an angel. Don't hear me say that. But it felt like the angel of the Lord came in the person of that pastor. And he was there. And he helped. And he sacrificed. And I wasn't alone. Because the mercies of God showed up in that man. You know, even for the people in this book of Lamentations, you know why they were being judged? Because they had for over two decades not listened to the prophet's warnings and everything the prophet predicted would happen, happened. And they were getting what they deserved. The long suffering of God was displayed if you read the history. And yet when it finally happened, do you know what, what Jeremiah tells us? that God comes to these people who have been so rebellious in the middle of their suffering and he says, hey, listen, I'm still your God. I know the plans I have for you. I'm not here to make you suffer. I'm here to help you. Seek the peace of the city of Babylon and I will bless you too. In Romans chapter 8, we have this incredible verse that says, we know that all things work together for good to them who love God, who are called according to his purpose. You know what that is? That's the mercies of God. If we look for the mercies of God, every day God actively directs his mercies toward us. We must trust in God and believe in his goodness. We need to have eyes to see mercies of God. Hey, where has he shown up for you lately? Where do you need his help today? God, I'm tired. I feel hope slipping away. Help me. Conversation with men in our church, and um, and as we were talking, we came to the subject of the fact that his his 16 year old son passed away unexpectedly. It's always a tender thing when our conversation moves in that direction. So I, I want to be real careful always. But in our recent conversation as we drifted into that he says you know pastor it hurts so bad but I'm okay I'm okay God is still good and I stood there and I thought oh my you have no idea what a sermon you were preaching to me right now 
practice his mercies. They are renewed every day. Every day. The greatest expression of the mercy of God is when he sent his son Jesus. And Jesus went to a bloody cross. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Jesus felt pain, shame, humiliation, rejection. Oh, he was rejected and betrayed. So when we go to him, he knows everything we're going through. I love what Hebrews 2 says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Why did he do that? Why did God die? Here's the answer. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Do you know what the joy of Jesus was? It was you and me, our salvation. We're his joy. Romans 8.32, I mean, listen to this. This is the goodness of, of God. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all? things why would we not trust him I want to invite you to bow your heads if you will